G'day everybody, I'm Scott Poynton and welcome to another Kui podcast. And this podcast is a special one because it's the first in the series that I'm doing for the magical appearance of earthworms. So it's the magical appearance of earthworm series. And what I'm doing is uh, every two weeks on my Patreon page, I'm releasing one of the stories from the series. There's 26 short stories that I've written already. And as well as putting them there as text, I'm going to make a little Kui podcast of me reading the stories out. I just think it'll make for a bit more of an intimate experience for those who want to listen to the story be read as opposed to those who just want to read it. So let's see. This is the first story and it's called Love on the Cranbourne Frankston Road. Love on the Cranbourne Frankston Road. So I'm going to read it out and uh, let's see how we go. I, I hope you enjoy it. It was never a long drive from Cranbourne to Frankston. I don't know, 20 minutes? It seemed longer because I so seldom went anywhere beyond Cranbourne's narrow confines. I was just a kid and my parents let me run feral with my dogs. I could pretty much do whatever I wanted and mostly did. Sitting still in a car for 20 minutes was an eternity, an imposition on my otherwise much-enjoyed freedom. It didn't help that Dad smoked like a chimney, one moment a cigarette, the next his pipe. My young lungs preferred the fresh country air, but he just couldn't get enough tobacco into himself, that bloke, and the windows were always wound up, tight shut. It was a pain, but I still loved going, because almost always it was just Dad and me. Dad and Mum never went anywhere together. It was even more rare for Carl, my brother and I, to be in the same place at the same time. We just weren't mates. I couldn't stand the bastard and did whatever I could to avoid him. Whenever Dad yelled, come for a drive, I'd quickly yell back, yep, drop whatever I was doing and bolt to the car to get there first. Not that Carl was ever keen on going anyhow, too busy with his chooks and pigeons. I was always anxious until Dad jumped in, started her up and we backed out the drive. Phew, I'd think, as Dad turned the car into the street, just the two of us. That short, long drive was my time and even the smoke couldn't bugger it. Cranbourne was just 30 miles out of Melbourne, but it was already in the country. The South Gippsland Highway ran right through the middle of town and carried travellers out into the heart of rural southeastern Victoria, into the market garden, sheep, beef and dairy cattle country beyond. It was the first town of any note with shops and services once folk left the last outskirts of Melbourne. People mostly passed through Cranbourne, going elsewhere. The few that did come to stop, more often than not, visited the horse racing track, The cranny horse races happened from time to time and were our only claim to fame. That and the fact that Cranbourne had become one of the major regional Victorian racehorse training centres outside of Melbourne. Monks from all about brought their horses there each morning to run about and fuel dreams of one day striking it rich, of winning the Melbourne Cup. The street where we lived, William Street, ran off the highway and headed out toward my school, Cranbourne North Primary, and the vast paddocks of old Mrs Walker's farm. There weren't many houses on our street, nor on the adjacent streets, Cranbourne was no metropolis. It seemed to me that few people lived there, and our bit of town, Cranny North, was even emptier than the main bit, where I didn't go too much anyhow. We were out of the flow, a sideways glance from a car window as folk went about their business. There were no traffic lights, and most of the streets off the highway were dirt roads with open drains that took away the rainwater. There was no phone service and no sewerage system. We all had outdoor dunnies and had to suffer the indignity of having the night watchman visit from time to time to replace our full poo cans. First job on most Saturday mornings, I'd wake up at Sparrows and head out into the breaking dawn to jump on the back of the milkman's draft horse-drawn trailer as he passed by home. Clop, clop, clop. We'd travel slowly about all the streets around us and I'd help him deliver milk bottles to people's front porches. It was the late 1960s, but we were still living in what was effectively 1950s rural Australia. Though it really was a rural economy, 
Some people travelled each day by car, we had a train station but no trains, to Melbourne or to nearby Dandenong to work. Up in town, we had Mrs Skew's supermarket for our groceries, and if we ran short, Mrs Papas had her milk bar at the end of our street, and that really was handy. Our house was almost on the corner with Clarendon Street, so I was literally 100 metres diagonally across the paddock from school. The Cranbourne Footy Club was a bike ride away in the middle of the racetrack. There were a few churches and a community hall, as well as the main council building. There was Robert's Vet Clinic. My dad knew the vet, Dr Chris Roberts, really well, and the police station that all the kids lived in fear of. There was a fish and chip shop, run by the Greeks, and the barbers for a haircut every other year. We also had a chemist for any medicine we might want. Not that we ever wanted much. Mum and Dad weren't big on taking us to the docks. There was the servo for petrol and, of course, Kelly's pub that sat imposingly on a corner bang in the middle of town. A pet shop, a branch of the National Australia Bank and the post office completed the place. It wasn't a beautiful spot, but it was functional and it was our home. We were from Cranbourne and that was okay for us. That said, it never felt like we were part of any community. Everyone minded their own business and kept mostly to themselves. Cranbourne was quiet and apart from the horses, not much happened there. Dad travelled a lot with work and when he was home, there was every chance I wasn't. More than likely I was off somewhere with my dogs. Dad spent a fair amount of time in Kelly's pub and at the horse track. Dad loved horses and it seemed to me that he devoted every waking, non-working hour to being with them and all the horsey people who beyond the early morning visits to the track congregated at Kelly's. It seemed the same to Mum and she didn't like it much but that didn't change him. Between his work, the horses and Kelly's We didn't see much of Dad. From time to time, he'd have to go to Frankston to buy something, or more often to Cranny South, Langwarren or Pearsdale to see horse people. Those towns were out toward Frankston, so we'd find ourselves on the Cranbourne-Frankston Road. I enjoyed the novelty of being on the smooth bitumen surface. No potholes. Not like William Street. That was Pothole City. Some of them so big you could almost crawl into them and pretend no one could see you. Along with the rainwater ditches, they were bomb craters for our war games. For when we played cowboys and itchy bums. Every now and then, the council would run a grader over her and we'd have a flat surface to muck around on for a spell, but only until the next rain when the potholes would return. Getting to and from our place to the highway made for a slow, shaken experience. Out on the road, there wasn't much to see, just paddocks and the trees that lined the way. I'd watch the road mostly, admiring how Dad kept the car between the white lines. I'd sit there and marvel at his hands, at his concentration and how the slightest movement left or right would see us swerving around corners or passing slower vehicles. It was a mystery to me. Just out of Cranbourne, there was the Amstel Golf Club, and I'd wait in anticipation for us to round the long bend that took us towards Frankston. Every time we'd round that bend, every time, Dad would start talking. Hands gripping the wheel, pipe or ciggy hanging out of his mouth, the radio playing the footy or the cricket, he'd start to tell me the story. This road here, son, he'd start. Late the night you were born, I sped along here with your mother, sitting right there in the passenger seat, getting ready to have you. Each and every time he'd tell me, but I didn't mind. I loved it. I liked the idea of him rushing off to the hospital with mum. The idea of them being together made me feel good. Even better, that it was for the auspicious occasion of my pending arrival, a celebration. It made me feel I'd been wanted, that I wasn't a mistake. The older kids at school used to have a go at us youngsters, saying, You were adopted. You were a mistake. Your parents didn't want you. It was how they hurt you. Each time Dad told me his story, it gave me a shield. It gave me power. Dad would come over all misty and reflective. 
He was watching the road, but I could see it in his face. He was remembering. I could smell the rubber burning. I was a kid, so knew nothing about childbirth, but I'd learned enough to know it was no walk in the park. It was a time when mums needed dads to be around. It was a time for cigars, for feelings of love. Dad always said it had been bloody late, dark and crappy weather. I'd always imagine a raging storm. He told me he'd had to watch out for branches on the road. Those bloody trees. That wouldn't have been any good, son, he'd say. Bloody right, I always thought, proudly echoing his lingo, and imagined massive trunks falling in front of him, Dad swerving to miss them. The smoke from Dad's pipe would always quell a bit when he told the story. It was like he couldn't drive, remember, and suck all at once. My lungs sighed with a break from it. Almost didn't bloody make it, he'd say, with serious tone, and a grim face shake of his head. I'd worry what not making it would have meant, and get a mental picture of Mum there in the passenger seat, with me splattered on the floor. It didn't seem good. I'd imagine Dad driving like a mad bastard. Juan Fangio, to get us to the hospital before, well, before I didn't know what. But the fact that I was there, and Mum was fit and healthy at home, told me he'd made it. A hero. I'd had a special arrival into the world. I had a story. I'd never seen anything to suggest that they really did love each other. There were strong words, bad arguments, and long silences at home that lasted for weeks, what with Dad's travel. It was our normal. My earliest memory, I'd have been lucky to have been four, I reckon, was of Dad throwing his dinner across the table at Mum one night, having come home from Kelly's with too many beers under his belt, and then promptly heading back there. He achieved the feat without a single scrap of food flying off the plate. I remember thinking, bet he couldn't do that again if he tried, until I saw the shame on Mum's face. I never saw them kiss or hug, but Dad used to call Mum Sam, which struck me as odd, considering her name was Marjorie. It was a pet name that suggested at least some affection. I figured, without understanding, that making babies meant making love. At least that's what the older kids at school said. So the fact that they'd had me was a bit of something in the love department. His mad rush to get us to the hospital and his pride in telling me every time we were on the road suggested love too. It was like he didn't want to let it go, that it was still there. I'd sit there in the car, choking quietly on Dad's smoke, looking out the wound-up window and listening to the radio. All the time, thinking about Mum and Dad, about a time when they might have been in love. In a rare moment, when we were at home together, and even even rarer one, when they weren't at each other, I'd pluck up the courage to ask them how they'd met. They never said much about it. Dad had had another girlfriend, apparently, but met Mum, and two seconds later, they were married. They'd met in Melbourne, where they were both working, and I always wondered why they'd moved to Cranbourne. Was it to escape? It seemed as though they were hiding. The kids at school spoke about shotgun weddings, but I'd done the maths, and it wasn't that. After a few mumbled words, dishes would get collected, or Dad would get up and go and watch the telly in the lounge room, and it would remain a mystery. Dad had an old photo album that I'd sneak out when no one was looking. It was a grey old thing, leather-bound. Looked like it was about 100 years old. Inside, there were pictures of Dad's old dog, Marlow, marked by Dad's beautiful calligraphy. He had lovely writing. Dad always spoke reverently about Marlow and how he'd been such a terrific hunting dog. Loyal, how he'd loved him so much and how sad he'd been when he died. The photos of Dad's trips to Phillip Island and the Dandenongs in 1955 really got me. Getting a glimpse into Dad's past, before me, was a thrill. But after Marlow, there were photos of Lois and people called Reg and Val. Dad had taken them with his box brownie. The two that always caught my attention were labelled Reg and Des 
and Lois and yours truly. Dad was smiling and happy. I never saw him like that. Why doesn't he take photos now, I wondered. Why don't we ever go on trips? And what happened to that young man in the photo? Most of all, I'd scratch my head and wonder, who's Lois? Dad had his arm around her and they were really close, their bodies touching. Neither of them was unhappy. They were closer to each other than I'd ever seen him get to mum. It deeply confused me, but I dare not ask him. The album was kept hidden away in his cupboard, packed up tight, so I figured it wasn't for discussion. We'd soon get to wherever we had to go, and Dad would do his thing, drench or inject a horse with something, chat a while to the owner, to the farmer, and then we'd get back in the car and drive home. Halfway back, I'd managed to spirit the window open a crack, and, breathing into much-needed oxygen, I admire the trees along the way. I drift off, imagining Mum and Dad being happy together, just like him and Lois, laughing, holding hands, being in love. My dogs were always waiting for me when we arrived home. Where have you been, you bugger? They'd bark, bounding around me, cross that I'd left them alone. They'd jump up and lick my face, and we'd wrestle and roll about, while their madly wagging tails whipped my legs and each other. I've been in the Cranbourne Frankston Road, I'd whisper to them. I didn't want my brother to hear. He'd only mock me, you dickhead, he'd say. But for that brief while, if only for a moment, as Dad shared his story and we'd driven mostly in silence, I'd been embraced by the thought of love. I gripped hold of it, refusing to let it go. There on that road, from nowhere special to nowhere special, I'd snatched a breath of it. That's love on the Cranbourne Frankston Road. Hope you enjoyed the story. The next story is called Horse Mornings. I'm Scott Poynton, and thanks for listening to this special magical appearance of earthworms, Kui Podcast. Mm-hmm.